organization brings peace. And so I think as a leader, you have a responsibility to create some organization. Hi, I'm Nils Vigna, and you're listening to the B2B Leadership Podcast, a show dedicated to demystifying leadership development one conversation at a time. Each week, I sit down with leaders in the B2B space to discuss their journey and what they've learned along the way. This podcast is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous, and the B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard, you just need a guide and the right set of tools. So head on over to b2bleadersacademy.com to join and become the leader you have always wanted to be. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the B2B Leadership Podcast. My name is Nils Vigna, and today my guest is Jose Palomino. Jose, welcome to the show. Hey, Nils, good to be here. Wonderful to have you on, Jose. Super excited to have about our conversation today. But first, would you share with me and our audience a little bit about the role that you're in and the organization that you work for today? Sure. So I founded Value Prop Interactive about 15 years ago. What we do is we help mostly owners of B2B companies grow profitable revenue. It's that simple. So we, we work on the strategy, the planning, and the accountability piece. So we're not a marketing agency, but we help them figure out what they need and what they need to do next. And that's and that's what we focus on. Of course, anchored in, as you well imagine, with a company called Value Prop Interactive, starting with the core strategy, which is what is your value proposition? And that's it. We're going to get into that deep and we're going to talk about how that applies to people who are in leadership positions or even those who are aspiring to be in leadership positions. Super excited because you have deep domain expertise in this area, work with companies, and I really want to find out how to take your expertise and apply it to something that people can put into action right away. The way we got connected was I was a guest on your podcast, the Revenue Throughput Podcast. We had a fantastic conversation not surprisingly, about the leadership topic, which was wonderful. So thank you for having me as a guest on. We're super honored that you would come on mine as well. Definitely our pleasure and, and my pleasure. All right. So let's start with the basics and the core of value prop. And, you know, what does it mean? What does it look like? How does it exist? And maybe just in the context of, you know, you can share a little bit about how this works in an organization level, which I know you have a lot of experience in, and then how this might look to an individual who is a leader. would love to, you know, play with those two sides a little bit. Sure. Well, well, let's start with, you know, broad, high-level definitions, right? So we say every organization, if you sell something, to a market, you have to know, first of all, who your market is, right? So that's like, like marketing 101. Yet it's a, it's one of those cardinal rules that everyone says they know, but not everyone follows. In fact, many people don't follow at all. So, and then answering this one question for them, why should anyone buy X from you at Y price? And there's actually some really significant thoughts behind that, right? Why should anyone buy X? That means you've defined X, what it is that you think is valuable to them from you, they might be able to get X somewhere else. And in most most of us, I don't care who's listening, if it's some like the most inventive, you know, SaaS software in the world, they are competitors who are doing something similar or close enough in the minds or the eyes of the consumer. You might not think so, right? Like the, the company might not think so, but in the minds of the consumer, they're like- That's all I meant. And we call that an equally credible claim. In other words, they, you know, so when you have like SAP and Oracle competing for all those years, 
if you talk to either organization, tell you, oh no, they're not as good. You know, we have this feature and, and they don't have that. And I said, yeah, but when you talk to like IT managers or IT leadership CIOs buying this stuff by the millions, um, they're going to say they're pretty much on parity, except for a few, you know, like color choices almost. It's <laughs> the thought. So why should anyone buy X from you at Y price? Then that's the value, right? That's the back end stuff. That's that's the value exchange. So you have to know what value you're creating for people and what is it worth to you? And then how do you distinctly or how do you set yourself apart as being a unique offerer of that value, right? And usually that means it, it can't just be that, well, we're we're taller. Our consulting firm is taller or, you know, but like, for example, in SaaS, you know, our software is all like, you know, browser based. That's like saying like shoes are for walking. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's an irrelevancy at this point. And I've been in the industry long enough to know the days when like Salesforce launched and the whole thing was no software. And that was a big differentiator back then in 2000, 98, 2000, that time. Like if you told people, no, we sell on-premise software, that would actually be the differentiator. It, you know, and, and it might be an application for that from a security point of view, depending on, on what it is. So, so really understanding what it is you do best and what problem you solve, and I'll talk in B2B terms, what problem do you solve for your best audience, right? And it should be a problem of importance. It may not be because your offering may not be their number one problem, but it has to be an important enough issue or else you're never going to get any traction. So that's what we help organizations think through. And it's often not what they think it is, because what they think it is might have been what they started with 10 years ago, but it's not what it is today. And you have to really listen carefully to customers. And they'll tell you if you ask openly, right? If you, if you, if you don't ask openly, if you ask like with, uh, you know, like, so you like our product a lot, right? Don't you, you know, loaded question. It's kind of in a relationship, you know, like, you know, a girlfriend tells boyfriend, you know, you're happy with this relationship, right? Like, what other answer could you possibly give, you know, unless you want it to end? You know what answer you're supposed to choose. Yeah. But now as you transition that into other dimensions, right? So one is, organization selling a thing, a product, a service, something like that. And you have to connect the dots for your right audience. So now let's say you're a VP or director level person in a somewhat larger organization. So you're in leadership, right? Because you're being called on to actually facilitate the activities of other people. So essentially that's like the simple kind of blocking and tackling what leadership is. But, you know, you want to get into it a little deeper and you want to say, okay, well, wait a second. If, I, if I'm building out my career, what do I want to be known for bringing specially to the market? So, so I've been in large organizations where somebody gets known as, oh, that person is somebody who can really turn things around. He's a turnaround specialist. Or this person can really settle down. Let's say they've been a lot of turnovers and they've been a lot of, let's say, some acquisition activity. There's certain leaders that are known to bring in a culture of calm, which might be what you want. So those are all distinctives in leadership style. And, you know, let's stipulate for the most part, anybody, let's say, you know, MBA level, you know, training or education or, or equivalent to experience, the blocking and tackling of, you know, reading a P&L, knowing how to do a project plan, that's not in and of itself to special, te- special powers. That's kind of table stakes. That's what if, you know, if you're a director or a VP level, you should know how to do employee re- reviews. But it's the other stuff. And, and I think there you can be very intentional as you design your career. And it starts with the same thing we would do as an organization. What are your strengths? I mean, it's that simple. Like, what, what do you do well? Because if you don't know that, 
that's like the beginning part. And, you know, there's things like strength finders and other things that might help you do that. But I'm looking at that one or two things. And one of the ways to find out, just like we would say to a company, ask your customers, you don't want to ask your subordinates too directly. Like, you know, what do you like most about me as your boss? Because that's a, that's a loaded question. But you have peers and you should have some professional friends, some mentors and say, hey, if you if you had to put your finger on one thing you think I do particularly well, like that if if somebody was in a crisis and they had to dial 911, what crisis would I best fit? That's another way to ask the question. Think about it. I'm not offended. You're not asking them what do you do wrong because people feel put on the spot. You know, that now I'm going to do a you know, 360 review of you face-to-face. But if you ask the question, what do you think, what's the 911 I should answer? Then that will reveal a lot. And whatever that is, now, hopefully that resonates with you when you hear it, right? Like you say, oh, my goodness, I can't stand that that's what people think of it. <laughs> it might be. You might be really good at something that – or you are perceived to be really good at something that somebody else you know, sees, but you might not think it's a strength at all. Right. Or it may not even be a preference to do it again, right? So sometimes people do get stuck in roles that they have aptitude for but no, no affection for. And that does happen. But better you know that. And say, okay, now I can actually be intentional about what would I prefer to be known for? And why am I not known for those things? Now, it could be a blind spot. Maybe you're just not that good at that. Or maybe something you haven't developed or exercised enough or haven't had the opportunities. And now I know the next time I go into my review with my EVP or whatever, I'm going to say, you know, I'd like to get more involved in working with international teams. And you might go, really? You, there's nothing in your background. Yeah, there's nothing in my background because no one's, you know, I haven't had that opportunity, which is what I'm looking for. And then they're going to ask you this question. Why do you think that would be a good role for you? So you have to have an answer for that. You know, and whatever that answer is, it's part of what sets you apart. And now you're starting to move yourself away from being just a Lego block mid-manager into something that actually could actually have some traction. And so that's just the first part. I mean, that's a long answer to your very pithy question there, Nils. But, uh... You brought up some incredible points there that I want to highlight. You know, first is being just, it starts with you and understanding what you do best. And you actually mentioned my favorite assessment to help uncover this, which is the Strengths Finder assessment as created by Gallup. They did, you know, hundreds of thousands of hours of research to answer one question, which was what makes a high performing team? And they came to a single sentence answer. I mean, how often do we get that much research boiled down to a single sentence? They said a high-performing team has individuals in roles that maximize their strengths. That's it. When people do what they're naturally talented to do, they excel. And you, Jose, I'm sure in this position have been for a long time. I myself have been in in this position, fortunate enough to build my entire business around what I am most talented to do, because I know that if I do that, I'm going to deliver tremendous value to other people. So that as a cornerstone, I love that you called that out, that this is something that you can do right away now, right? And get a deep understanding for before you get into the next piece, which was all about, you know, solving the best problems for your audience. And I want to dig into this a little bit because it's, it's not necessarily just solving all the problems, right? You had a qualifier there for your audience. So how does a leader think about, or how should a leader think about who their audience really is when they're, you know, have core knowledge of what their strengths are, what they're really good at, who's their audience that we're talking about so that they can identify what problems they should really solve to be known in that particular way. 
So I'm, I'm going to answer that with a, a definitely a biased answer, right? So it's it, it, in the bias is my personal bias, what I believe about leadership, right? So I think whether somebody's running a task force in a large, like mega Fortune 500 company, or you're leading a small scrappy startup of, you know, 10 developers and, and a business development person trying to create the great new, the next Google or something like that. Ultimately, you have two dimensions you have to keep in mind always. You know, one is kind of your North Star and the other is kind of your foundation, right? So your feet on the ground and then where you're going. So the North Star is always, what are we trying to accomplish? And not what are you trying to accomplish for yourself? How do I get my bonus or how do I get my stock options vested or anything like that? But just really, what are we trying to do? And using collective we language is, is something that great leaders, I think, do very well. They create a sense of, of that we're in this boat together. I was recently watching a documentary on Netflix, one of those late nights where you're saying this, there's, there's 8 million things to watch, but there's nothing to watch, right? Yeah. <laughs> <In there. Yep. laughs> so, and it was a documentary on Dunkirk and then Winston Churchill, you know, just, we will never surrender, never, sur- never, never, never surrender. And he brought the entirety of his nation in a real dire moment in history around this thought that we are doing something great. And he rallied people, literally people risking life and limb to uh, to take their boats there uh, to uh, Normandy to rescue the soldiers and that whole story that's been that's been captured. But but it's a it's a fascinating thought that that's that's a big organization. And yet I see entrepreneurs with like five people reporting to you. And when you do individual interviews, you realize none of the five think that leader is particularly caring about Either they're not sure what the mission is, and they certainly, and this is the second part, they don't necessarily feel that that leader cares about them. So that North Star is the mission we all agree to. And the grounding has to be, how do I serve my people? How do I empower, enable my people? And I think it's no different than if you're an organization selling a product. How does your product help your customer? And and it, it kills me every time I, I do any kind of sales coaching or sales training that people engage with customers at only the first generation of the problem, which is what do you want to buy and how, and let me tell you how my features meet your requirements. But why do you want to buy this? What are you doing with this once you buy it? What, and what's the impact of that long-term solution? So thinking back, so if I sell a big machine to you, I can talk speeds and feeds and about this machine, this industrial machine. But why are you adding this industrial machine to your production? Oh, because you have to close a plant in another country. You're moving production here. It's highly competitive and you need to keep whatever that story is. I need to understand that. So the North Star is what we are trying to do together. And my grounding is how do I help people do their jobs? So that, that says as a leader, I have to be a good communicator and I actually have to, and I, and I don't want this to sound soft and squishy because, you know, sometimes in the world of like finance and invested companies with VCs behind it, they say, yeah, yeah, yeah we don't have time for that soft, fuzzy stuff. We just got to get stuff done, you know, crack the whip. But the reality is it's going back to that Gartner, the straight finders output. They said, yeah, okay, at the end of the day, if you have people who are good at something and you're asking them to do that, which they're good at, they're going to be more enthusiastic about it. They're going to be better at it, right? You're not forcing a square peg into a round hole. Or as I had a mentor of mine, uh, uh, he's uh, now gone, but he is uh, a warm memory for me. His name was Hal. And Hal would tell tell me, he says, Jose, never ask a bear to be a ballerina. That hits the nail on the head. And it happens so often. 
all the time. You see, because otherwise I'm not even thinking about my, my North Star. I'm not thinking about our mission. I'm thinking about my job right now. And I'm thinking, why can't Larry be more like Mary? And, and Because Larry's not Mary. And, and Mary's not Larry. They're different. And you haven't done a good enough job putting them in positions to be successful. And sometimes that is, and the hard news is sometimes that position to be successful is not with you. So especially in small teams, you, you have to be able to say that, not because they're bad people or they failed morally or ethically or anything like that. They just may not be what needs to happen now. If you share that vision clearly enough, a lot more often than not, I wouldn't say all the time, but a lot of times, those people who are square pegs and round holes self-select out. Agree. And that is a powerful move in and of itself because it's clarity. A lot of what's behind a lot of what we're talking about, clarity about value, clarity about your audience, clarity about your strengths. One of my favorite sayings is clarity shall set you free. When you know that the environment that you're in is of a particular type and you know that your type does not fit inside of that type, the natural thing to happen is you move to another place and find a place that's a better fit. And I think that's a wonderful thing. We should celebrate it because not everybody's a perfect fit as for everything or every role or just because they have time. It's not the best thing for them to do. You can't turn a bear into a ballerina. I'll stick with you. (laughs) We'll get back to the interview in just a minute. This episode is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous. The B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard. You just need a guide and the right set of tools. Head on over to b2bleadersacademy.com to join and become the leader you've always wanted to be. Now let's get back to the interview. So let's talk about the, what do I want to be known for? We've got the concept of the North Star, kind of the bigger picture vision and, you know, what we're there to do together. And you talked about the grounding and how to help people do their job. So in the day-to-day of a leader at any size company in any organization anywhere, there's a lot of stuff going on that's required to help people do their jobs. So how do you balance or how should a leader balance the helping people do their jobs with what do I want to be known for? Because sometimes those might be, you know, contrasting things that don't necessarily complement each other. Oh, absolutely. Right. So, so, you know, if you're in leadership, you may have to do things that are not in your sweet spot because they're exigent circumstances, right? So, you know, if you were also, you were the strongest person on one of the lifeboats on a Titanic, all of a sudden you became captain of a, of a small vessel. Earlier that day, you were playing cards, <laughs> you know, right. and, and now you're captain of your life raft. So, you know, things change and, and you have to adapt to that to some to some degree. But I think it really comes down to uh, there's a few things that leadership requires. And this is certainly not exhaustive by any means. But as I think about it, I said, first, good leaders have enough organizational ability to know that B follows A, C follows B and so on. They have some sense of organization. One of the biggest complaints, and if you've ever done exit interviews or you see people leave what look to be good firms, Often, it's not because they think their boss or their leader was evil, but they'll say something like, they, they can't get out of their own way. It's a hot mess. So, so organization brings peace. And so I think as a leader, you have a responsibility to create some organization. Now, I, I understand there's, there's counter arguments for that, which is, 
where those leaders have become famous for creating like intentional chaos. I've known people have worked in situations where two teams are given the same project. Whoever gets it right keeps their job. The other one goes, but you know, all right, that's, there's always going to be that, that segment of, of the world. I'd rather not opt into that segment. All right. So life's too short and it's too long to even endure that. But some people do and some people thrive in that. And, you know, there's sports teams and, and, and things like that. But, but I just think a sense of organization is really, it creates security. That's one. I think communication, right? So setting expectations, being able to let people know and not be afraid to have hard conversations. But, and, and there's another adage, this was something actually a pastor at a church once said, and, and it just always stuck with me. He says, uh, say what you mean, mean what you say, don't say it mean. <laughs> so you got two today, Bill. You got, you got some good, man. These are, I'm just filling the banks with the great lines that I'm going to pull out from now on and give, I just have to start the conversation with giving credit. <laughs> but it, it frames so many meetings. If you start off with say, look, we need transparency. So you got to say what you mean. And we need honesty, so you need to mean what you say. But there's no need for you to say it mean, like to be angry at people. Like, like we're just trying to figure this out. Again, North Star, so I can always point back to that. So we just want to get the process right. We want to figure this thing out. So I think organization is one. Communication is two. And, and I think there is something, and it gets overused. It's not not true. In other words, it gets overused, but it's still essential, which is you do need some of that vision thing. All right. And that comes back to the North Star, but you have to give people hope. You have to give people encouragement. I do believe good leaders know how to be natural encouragers and not like just puffing people up, right? Like not like, you know, what is it? A five-year-old soccer team where everybody gets a trophy. Not that kind of encouragement, but really looking for opportunities to either help somebody. Somebody did something particularly well on a project and said, look, I, I didn't know you knew how to how to handle that tool to create that kind of interface. Really appreciate you pitching in on that. Is that something you'd like to do more of? And also they say, well, yeah, I was hoping for that. That isn't why you, I said, okay, I still need you working QA because that's the role you're in right now, but I'm going to look for some projects that we can start. And over time we can build that up in you. If that's something you're interested in. Also the person says, well, I'm, I've been seen, been recognized. Feel heard. It, right. Communicated with very clearly. And now I've been encouraged that because otherwise maybe I'm looking at my job like, ah, another QA assignment and that's not what I want to do. So these are things that I think can be done. And, you know, some of this is, it does broadly fall into the category of just being like, be a decent human being kind of, but I think you have to attack it with some, with intention. Like you can't just say, well, I'm a good person, so I'll do the right thing. No, you got to be mindful of these things and do them on purpose. Otherwise, you may, even as well-intentioned as you are, you may just miss it. Yeah, agree. And and there is so much overlap in what you said about being a good person and a lot of characteristics that are really important in leadership, but you absolutely 100% cannot say, I'm just a good person, therefore I'm going to be a good leader. No, it's that intentional piece that's missing. And I loved how you frame, you know, if you're not sure what to be known for or what problems to solve, those are three areas that absolutely 100% guaranteed there are problems inside your organization, inside of your team that exist across these three areas you talked about. The organization of 
the team of the org or how things function, even if you're in an individual contributor level position, there's a million things you could do to streamline things, gather documentation, put things in a central place, make things easier to find. And that would be huge demonstration. And you could be known as someone who brings tremendous organization, which, as you said, brings a piece, which is a very calming thing and a, and a wonderful thing. Right. Communication being the one to set expectations more clearly than anybody else. And then, you know, some vision and giving people hope and the encouragement and being the one to go to bat. So I love that, you know, each of those could be viewed as problems in and of themselves. And if you become known for solving those kinds of problems, then absolutely the opportunities will be there, just like in that example you shared. And that last point about being that encourager, one of the benefits of that, it has direct, actually, I think it has huge bottom line benefits especially in the context of earlier stage companies or small technology companies, because there you have limited headcount. And so one of the key things you have to be really good at is recruiting high-end talent that want to be there, that maybe, especially if you're earlier stage, that maybe are willing to take a slightly lesser package, you know, haircut for the future, that kind of thing. So if their buddy who also graduated, you know, whether it's MIT or they graduated, you know, the community college computer science department, whatever it was, you know, Stanford as well, if they said, uh, you know, you got to come work where I am because this is amazing where I'm at, right? And look, you don't have to try to match like, you know, Google Google City or something like that or, or was it SAS Institute in, in Cary, North Carolina. Remember, first time I went there 20 years ago and I'm thinking, and of course, the, the CEO there was had a James Bond name, right? Dr. Goodnight, which is <laughs> incredible. Kept the company private, still private, multi-billion dollar company, you know, the leader in statistical analysis. But he created a whole city with daycare, dry clean, all that stuff way ahead of the curve, way ahead of Silicon Valley and, and so on. But, you know, you have a 20-person team and half of you are working remotely. You can't do that. But you can create an environment that people want to be part of. You'll retain people. You'll attract people. What an opportunity to be in a situation where three people want to talk to you about joining your firm. And you say, look, I don't have an opening right now, but let's talk. And they're like, you have a queue versus... Like you're desperate looking for that other person, that UX specialist that you can't find because, frankly, your own people aren't really promoting you either. That type of situation would be the absolute perfect place to have already, if you're on the applicant side, of course, already have knowledge about your value prop as a leader and the problems that you solve. Because then that casual conversation with Jose as the you know future hiring manager who doesn't have any openings right now, hears about the problems that you solve and the experiences that you've brought, not your resume, the problems that you solved. And then that is implanted in his brain. And every time that problem comes up, which I guarantee is probably going to be pretty frequent in that kind of environment, he's going to think about you and be like, you know what, maybe I need to bring that headcount forward and bring us in. But you'll never know that and you'll never be put in that position unless you do the work ahead of time to be, you know, just stake a claim on what is your value pop? Why are you different? Why is it going to be valuable for your audience if you were trying to get a job, the company in this case? Why is it going to be valuable for them to hire you? Yeah. And, and you know, when you think about technical roles, all too often I've seen my fair share of technical resumes, right? So, and it says, you know, and it has all these languages, computer languages we know, and I've done this and I've worked on this tool and so on. And then you see 10 of those resumes side by side and they look the same, <laughs> 100%. So at that point, it's like, okay, you know, they all have the right pedigree educationally and about the same amount of experience if I'm looking at a certain category. But to your point, turning that around and say, look, I have this background, but what I love focusing on is whatever that is, tough situation like this, creating things that do this, 
whatever that is that you want to be known for. And, and of course, you know, anyone listening to this might say, well, wait a second, isn't that going to limit other opportunities? And there's always yes. some <laughs> dimension of that. Yes. But those other opportunities are not the ones you want. Those are the ones that like suck when you get them. So you don't want them. The reason you're looking for work now is because you're probably in one of those other opportunities. So yes, I know we all have to eat. And sometimes we, we do get well jobs where we just have to do what we got to do. And, and that's fine. You know, do, do it with integrity, do your best. Anyway, you might learn something new. But to the degree you have some options to to carve out where you want to be, do that intentionally because, again, life's too short, life's too long. It's both. So, you know, do that on purpose. And, and I think you'll see some really great results. Yeah, I agree 100%. And to build on what you were saying there, I've had countless conversations with individuals who, you know, I'm connected with and perhaps are looking for their next leadership role. And I ask very plainly, What's the profile of the perfect fit for you? And I get back some very varying answers. The ones that are generic that say I'm open to anything because they believe they want to keep the options open. They can, I, I, there's nothing I can do with that. I literally cannot think of anybody who is a because it's too general. However, the ones that come to me and say, I want to work for this size company in this industry with solving these kinds of problems with this size team in this role, I immediately go, oh, I got three people that I could introduce you to. No problem. Right. And it's that element of being very clear and precise and just taking ownership of what it is you do, what it is you want to do and eliminate the, the noise. The noise is all the other stuff. Just let that go and just focus on what you know you can knock it out of the park with because that's where you're going to have the most fun. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that, no, that's great. And I mean, I love this topic. It's a, it's a lot of fun, you know, just seeing how it's still, you know, no matter how technical the world becomes, it's still, I mean, so far, we haven't been replaced by AI managers. So, <laughs> so human leadership is still necessary. Who knows? This will be an anachronism in 20 years. People say, oh, how funny they thought you, they needed leaders, but they still do. <laughs> Skynet's going to listen in on this conversation and be like, oh, we're shutting them down. <laughs> All right, Jose. So last question here. You've coached hundreds of leaders across all different size businesses, been a leader yourself. And I'm curious if you could go back in time to have a sit down, have a conversation with yourself when you were getting into your very first leadership position long, long ago, knowing everything that you know today and all the experience and all the advice you've given over the years to other executives and leaders and whatnot, what advice would you give your younger self? It's almost like a stump the guest type of question. No, but it's, it's a great question, Nils. And, and, as I think about that, as you were, as you were laying out the question, what struck me, and I was trying to visualize my first like supervisory role, where I was so focused on the doing, I didn't focus on the people who I was working with. So, and, and I ended up seeing, uh, and I can even think back, and this was a while back, all right, so it goes back, uh, you know, decades, passive aggressive behavior on the parts of people, which at the time I saw them as being bad actors, but I just wasn't an effective manager. That's really what it was. But I only through the like, you know, passage of time and your rearview mirror is like really sharp. <laughs> you know, when you look back, you can see things. But I would say pay more attention to the people. And later, as I started leading project management teams, I would have project managers that were like, you know, literally master's degree in project management and stuff. But they but their teams hated them. And I would tell them, I said, look, it doesn't matter how perfect, how perfectly balanced your Gantt chart is. You're going to miss every deadline because they hate you. 
So you got to fix that. And some did, and some you had to let go of. They said, you know, it's not about what's on paper. It's really, at the end of the day, it comes down to what people want to do and what they're willing to do. And then getting people on the same page in the same direction, you become unstoppable. Yeah, love it. That's wonderful advice. It's been a blast to talk with you all about creating your value prop as a leader. Jose, where can people find out more about you or connect with you? Oh, great. So they can go two places. If they want to talk to me, they can go to josepalomino.com. That's J-O-S-E-P-A-L-O-M-I-N-O.com. And to learn about the work we do as a company, they could just go to valueprop.com. And it's V-A-L-U-E-P-R-O-P.com. We'll get them connected. Perfect. And we'll have those links in the show notes as well. Be sure to check it out. Connect with Jose. Jose, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk with you about value prop, talk with you about leadership. And thank you so much for the incredible advice and wisdom and expertise you shared with me and this audience. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to the B2B Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd welcome you to subscribe and give the show a five-star review. You can see the show notes and all of the resources mentioned in today's episode at b2bleadershippodcast.com. As always, I'm Nils Vinya, and I hope you'll join us again next week. Take care and have a great rest of your day. This podcast is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous, and the B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard. You just need a guide and the right set of tools. So head on over to b2bleadersacademy.com to join and become the leader you have always wanted to be.